Hi. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 in your Bible. Maybe you already turned there. I heard this story. You, uh, I have my ear tuned for happy Christmas stories. Do you? I heard this story uh, about a man who was uh, having a hard time, very sad, difficult time. Some of it he brought upon himself because of the choices that he made. And he alienated his wife's affection. His family was breaking apart. His, as a result of that, his job wasn't going well. His son was put into a juvenile detention center. And one night he found himself nursing a beer in, in the bar and brokenhearted. And he thought to himself, how, how did I get here with all these troubles? And he thought about a, a pastor that had worked, visited his son in the juvenile detention center. And he thought, maybe I'll just, uh, maybe I'll give him a call and, and get some help. And he did. That, that, that happened to be my, my son, Kyle. He said, this fella came and talked to him and his whole life was broken apart. It was like dark. He said, it's like darkness came in on his life. Now, I hope you don't have it that bad today. But you might, you might feel like you do. If I said to you, do you, do you, experience, uh, do you experience darkness? Do you experience difficulty or hardship or temptation or the results of mistakes in your life or are the things that you're going through you kind of like maybe when you look back it's not so good or maybe when you look forward it's not so good there's fear or anxiety you could define you know kind of all of that like darkness coming in you, you have that experience I, I have to admit even though I consider myself a really bright sunny guy I feel all the time like there's dark things that want to come into my life. All you have to do is live in this world. All you have to do is turn on the news or you don't turn off the news. You have people, whole towns blown away or children that are supposed to be studying in school shot to death or terrible things that you hear about that are so sad. And probably you just have your own darkness that comes into your own life that's just hard for you. If you're like I am, that's true. I like Billy Collins. He's I doubt if Billy Collins is a Baptist. Billy Collins is, the, is a poet. I've quoted him before. He, he, he wrote a little poem about, you know, hanging on to a little bit of light when, you're, when you feel like darkness is, is crushing you. Here's how it goes. But tomorrow, dawn will come the way I picture her, barefoot and disheveled, standing outside my window in one of the fragile cotton dresses of the poor. She will look at me with her thin arms extended and offer a handful of birdsong and a small cup of light. Sometimes that's all you get, right? I just feel like a small cup of light is all I have. And this morning, I'm reminded of a trip that we took in 2011 to the Holy Land. We visited a place I'd actually never heard of before. One of the things that Herod the Great had built. Herod the Great, I think he had slaves build things. I don't think he lifted a finger himself, but he had Caesarea Maritima built, probably one of the great wonders of the world. A, a, a created a seaport, which still today, we visited there. Uh, there was an aqueduct that ran to that, that came out of the hills. It, all the work of, that's Herod's idea, and he had that built, Herod the Great. 
You've heard of the, of course, obviously, Herod's temple in Jerusalem. He wasn't Jewish, but he tried to court the favor of the Jews by rebuilding a temple for them. Huge project. They call it Herod's temple. And then, of course, you can't, you've all heard of the great mountain fortress that overlooks the Dead Sea, Masada. And the stories that go with that, we, we visited Masada. I don't think I'm athletic enough to have climbed up that. I'm positive I'm not athletic enough to have climbed up to that. We took a trolley. I did walk down. One of the elderly ladies in the church went down with me, and she let me finish first. I remember that. She was one of those ladies that goes walking every day. She could have finished ahead of me. It was an amazing thing. And then we visited another, another fortress of Herod, another great work of, of Herod, the Herodium. It was, there was, a, it, was, it was built on the scene of a battle where he defeated the Jews and thereafter always called himself the king of the Jews. The title he liked best was the king of the Jews. And there on the plain where that battle took place, he built a mountain on the plain. He built his own mountain and a huge fortress. It's still, the fortress is gone, but the mountain and all the guts of the mountain are still there. So we visited on a windy day, and we walked around the lip of that, walked down into the cisterns and explored it. There's, there were mikvah ritual baths because he was trying to please the Jews, and there's actually a synagogue because later on the Jews took the place over and they built a synagogue. They did some other things. That's later in the story. But there was this huge place, the Herodium, and it stood out like a mountain on the, on the rolling plains of Judea about seven and a half miles south of Jerusalem. And we were there that day and walked around and our guide would point to different things that you could see. He'd point out things you learned about when you were little in vacation Bible school. He said that at one time, there was a huge fortress built on top of this. It had four towers, one tower larger than the other three. That was Herod's quarters. There were, he had health problems, so he had hot baths that water was delivered there and heated up. It was an amazing luxury. And he had a huge pool, a swimming pool, you know, in case he wanted to drown family members, because sometimes that's what he did. Uh, Herod the Great, they called him. And we visited this place. And so you could look out this way, you could look out there to the west, and you could see the Dead Sea. You could look south towards Egypt. You could look north and actually see the city of Jerusalem. But then when you would look out to the north and and to the west a little bit, there were little series of white villages that you could see. The, The guide said while we were standing there and thinking about Herod's demonic dark dominance over the landscape, the guide said there's a little city over there, that village there, that's the, that's the city where Ruth came from. That's the city where David came from. That's the village where, where Jesus was born. Standing there, it was shocking to see, just to imagine what it would have been like to be in the little village of Bethlehem and to realize that this mountain, on the top of this mountain, it was, it was crowned with a huge fortress that quartered the soldiers that killed the innocent infants of Bethlehem. It must have felt dark sometimes. It must have been hard to think, here's this little tiny 
there's this little family living in poverty, this little tiny baby that was born, and then there's this dark dominance of Herod over them. But now, fast forward with me, because we've got to get to Colossians, don't we? 60 years or so. And now Herod's fading off the scene, and, and Nero from Rome, of course, Herod was a puppet of Rome, but Nero from Rome is the major threat to the, to the infant church. And there's a man that's also opposing the infant church. He hates the infant church. He's responsible for the death of innocent people. But then he sees a light on the road to Damascus, and he's miraculously converted, and he writes a big chunk of the New Testament. The backstories behind those letters are amazing. His name was Paul. They called him Saul. They called him Paul, depending on if he was with a Hebrew or Greek audience, I suppose. And he ministered for three years in the city of Ephesus, which is on, it's a seaport on the Aegean Sea, and then a river runs back then uh, to the east. And along that river are, are a series of, of towns. One of the men that he taught was a man named Epaphras, and Epaphras was from Colossae along the Lycos River Valley. And Epaphras, when he was taught by the Apostle Paul, went home and he started a church. And like a good pastor, he was really concerned for his people, that they would be mature in the Lord, that they would withstand the things that they would have to face, that they would push the darkness back themselves. And so Paul, even though he'd never visited there, he had a warm affection for Epaphras. He wrote a letter, one of the most beautiful letters in the New Testament. The one we have in our lap today, this beautiful letter to the Colossians, written under the dark dominance of Nero, about a man who was born under the dark dominance of Herod, to people who live in a very dark world and often feel like we have to push the shadows back in our own lives. And to read it is heartening. To read it is to warm your hands by the fire of truth. And today, as we approach Christmas tide, as we enjoy Christmas tide and all these beautiful traditions and beautiful songs and dances and gifts and, and kindnesses, and we still have these dark, dark things that come upon us, and we need to be reminded of the one who is the light of the world. And so we, we come across a, a, a text like John 1 that tells us that Jesus is the creator of the cosmos and a cradle. The baby Jesus is the creator God who never had a beginning, he'll never have an end. And then we go to a text like this in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23 today. And we just see, just, let's just look again at who Jesus is, this section of the text that we read. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. This is a stark and direct claim of deity. He is God. And God, you can see, he's the firstborn of all creation. And the firstborn there is used as a figure of speech, obviously, and we know that because if he created everything, he couldn't be a created thing. And this is used this way in the Bible, sometimes in the Old Testament, which, the, which some of these readers would have been familiar with. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it means a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement of priority. Uh, it's not a statement of chronology. So he was before everything. He was above everything. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him... All things were created. Verse 16, do you see it? By him all things were created. Who created everything? Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, is the creator of God, an agent in creation. That's what John said. That's what Paul said. The Bible doesn't make 
any claims about Jesus being one of the great religious teachers of the world. That's just completely foreign to the Christian faith. It completely negates the truth of the Christian Bible. The stark and repeated claim about Jesus is that he is God, that he's the creator God, that he's above everything else. He's the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, Herod, Nero, I, I read that in there, right? It, uh, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, that's demonic principalities, right? All things were created through him. And this shocking phrase, and all things were created for him. The claims the Bible makes about Jesus are staggering claims. Staggering claims. No, no one else could ever claim these things. He was before all things. In him, all things hold together. Verse 17, he was, he is before all things. In him, he holds the whole universe together. <laughs> you might remember he, he's the one that can keep you together. And in verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. So this, imagine this little gathering of Christians, a minority among all these crazy religious, uh, heretical religious groups like the Gnostics and, and others and all kinds of, you know, uh, false deities. Here's this little gathering of Jesus people. And, and, and the letter they read from the Apostle Paul is, he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Again, these are just shocking, just wonderful, staggering claims. And then verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now, this section from 15 to 23 uh, that, that we read today, it's a rabbit trail. Did you know that? It's a, it's a rabbit trail. Paul's, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we must be careful, but it, it, in the grammar, it's, it's a rabbit trail. He has a, the book is like this. He has an introduction, he has an amazing prayer, and then he has this, he goes off, because he goes off of, when he, when he thinks about who Jesus is, that's what he does. He goes off, if you will. Am I making sense? We know it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's a divine rabbit trail. It's a wonderful rabbit trail. Maybe that's not what we should call it. But you get it. It's, it's like, oh, oh, and by the way, before we get to the main thing, look at all this stuff about Jesus. And then let's go back here. He's always doing that. I love that about him. He's like, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. How sweet is his affectional love for Jesus, the rich theology that he had in his heart. Don't you really thank God for this man, the Apostle Paul, and what he wrote and how God used him. In him, he says of Jesus in verse 19, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things. So we have redeemed, we have, that's in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're slaves, he, he purchases, he risk, rescues us, and, and, he, and we're reconciled. That means our relationship with God is, is restored. Reconciled to himself, verse 20, all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Again, can I just point out again, which I'm doing here over and over again in this wonderful 
section about who Jesus is, the baby Jesus, who he is. He's, he's God. He's the image of the invisible God. He holds everything together. Everything's by him. Everything is for him. These are staggering claims. And he's the one who reconciles all things to himself all over the earth, in heaven and in earth, thrones, principalities, powers, dominions, human authorities, supernatural authorities. He said, don't ever let anybody sell you a cheap version of Christianity that just has a little moral ethic at its core. When Christmas time comes, it's not just about paying for the guy behind you in McDonald's, though that is a really good idea if I am behind you in McDonald's. It's wonderful. I love that. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. I was writing a sermon last week at McDonald's in Spring Arbor, and, and, and the workers were talking, and most of what they said was just silly banter. And then I heard them kind of stop and go, did you see that? Somebody said, what? It, that guy paid for the person behind him. And the girl says, yeah, he's paying it forward. He goes, no, they were behind him. She, <laughs> like, you don't get this. And that's sweet. Are you with me? That's just so sweet. But that isn't really the heart of Christmas. It, this kind of thing, when we understand who Jesus is, it drives back the shadows out of our life. It drives the darkness back. And even people who don't know the Lord know there's something up here. And it makes them want to do good things or get along better or put up with a brother-in-law or have turkey or something. But it's so much greater than that. It's a cosmic thing. And this is what Paul's baldly claiming. Of course, if you rise from the dead, you can say things like that. He has now reconciled his body of flesh in, in death in order to present you holy and blameless and a rubber, rubber approach. Oh, this involves me. He, he's going to redeem, reconcile, and, and he's going he's to uh, make me holy. The, the, the readers of the letter if indeed you continue in the faith, if you keep warming your hands by the truth of God, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that's the confidence of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a slave servant minister. So, so track with me. Jesus, a baby, was born in a little village that, away from home under the, under the glare, the dark, demonic dominance of a cruel despot, Herod. And then the baby church has to flourish under the persecution from Nero. And you and I have to live in a world where darkness is just everywhere. But then there's Christmas tide and who Jesus is, and that should help us push back the darkness in our little pockets of light everywhere, pushing the darkness back. Telling that person the truth, loving this person, reconciling with this person, seeking forgiveness from that person. Sin is against us all around us. Sin is within us. There are people who, there's the sin that we live in, the world, there's the sin against us, there's the sin that's within us, and all of this Jesus is the answer for all that darkness. Who is this baby? This baby is incredible. God came to earth to die. Now, with that in mind, let me show you something I, I love. Let's back up and notice the language that was from the pr prayer of thanksgiving before the rabbit trail, before the wonderful, divinely inspired rabbit trail. Notice the prayer of thanksgiving. Giving thanks, this is the, just the end of it. 
It's all good. We're strengthened with, with power according to the glorious might, all endurance, patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. I'm in verse 12 now, 112. I kind of cheated. I went here. I'm going back. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You get welcomed into this as an inheritance with other holy ones. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I want you to take that home with you today. I want you to cherish that. Just that phrase. When you think of all of this, I know that darkness is pressing in on your life. I know you may have lost loved ones. I know you have loved ones that are strayed from the Lord. We all do. I know that Christmas isn't what you would ideally want it to be. I know there are things in your past that haunt you, things in your future that frighten you. I know there's darkness in your life because you live in a broken, fallen, sin-cursed world. But this truth of Jesus is yours to claim as an inheritance. And when you do, you remember your transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And you have the inheritance of the saints in light. And that's your heritage. And that should make Christmas tide pretty sweet for you. So they taught us something interesting, shocking, actually. When we were looking at the Herodian, they said, Josephus wrote about Herod the Great a lot. There's a huge historic record about Herod the Great. We know a little bit about him from the New Testament. Matter of fact, there's something in the New Testament that doesn't occur anywhere else. They're going to figure out that there's a record of it somewhere else someday, I guarantee it. But it's only the slaughter of the innocents doesn't make it into Josephus' record. And so people that don't have a high regard for the Bible will sometimes say, that probably didn't happen. Someday they're going to find out it did happen. A localized genocide, the slaughter of the innocents that the, that the Bible talks about. Matthew, Luke. Where was Herod's tomb, they said? Well, they say he died in Jericho. And he, and he also took people with him. You know, toward the end of his life, he, he went on a homicidal rage, killing wives, sons, relatives. He, he also gave orders to have people killed when he died because he knew nobody would mourn over him and he wanted everybody to mourn. So he said, if a bunch of people are killed when I die, then there'll be a mourning in the land. This is a really, this is a guy you want to put a picture of him on your Christmas card. Where's his grave? There was a scholar named Ehud Netzer who said, I suspect it's at the Herodium, but it took him until 2007, May of 2007. Guess what? They discovered the sarcophagus of Herod at the Herodium. It was beaten to pieces because the Jews hated him. And when the Jewish zealots took over the Herodian just before the Romans conquered everything in AD 70, the first thing they did is they made their way to Herod's grave and destroyed everything they could see. They hated him. While we were in the Holy Land, we also said, well, where is the tomb of Jesus, you know? They said, we're not sure where the tomb of Jesus is. It could be here. It could be here. They took us to Gordon's Calvary. And they showed us a tomb. They said, this is a tomb like the tomb of Jesus. Probably not the one. Because, you know, Jesus borrowed the tomb. And he's adored all over the world today. So there's the kingdom of darkness. And there's the kingdom of light. And there's Herod. And there's a baby. And there's Nero and the fledgling church. And there's the darkness that's in your heart right now. But there's Christmas tide, and there's Jesus. And he's the King of Kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. 
And he's the light of the world. And he's more than a little cup of light. He's the glory of the eternal Father. <laughs> Went to Cracker Barrel this week. Like to do that. I, I like to linger outside of Cracker Barrel because there's the tang of wood smoke in the air. It's a beautiful smell, right? And then they have this big roaring fire inside. And you can walk over there, you can pause, you can put your hands up and feel the warmth of it. It's kind of what I wanted, was I prayed for you this week, and I thought about you, your family, and the stuff that you might be going through, how easy it is to get your heart broken. I thought about you, and I thought, what you really need is, is to pull away from the darkness of despair and warm your hands by the truth of God. Remind yourself of the, I don't know how it will look for you. It might be like singing songs or playing songs, or it might be reading a book or reading the Bible. It might be getting with a friend that you know is going to inspire you, but somehow you've got to tether yourself to the truth of God. You've got to continue in the hope of God. You've got to remind yourself of who Jesus is and what he's going to do in this world. You cling to that. You press into the light and away from the darkness. You remind yourself of God's truth. When something bad happens to you, you think the way God wants you to think. You talk the way God wants you to talk about it. I was grumbling one day a little bit. I, I like to think of myself as not a grumbling person. But I was grumbling to Lois. She was still in the bed. I was sitting beside the bed, and, and I was getting ready to leave, and I just grumbled to her for a while about something I don't like. And just grumble, grumble, grumble. And then I got in my car, and I was driving to church, and I put on a song, and it was a song called there's a new song by Vince Gill called Count Your Blessings. Beautiful song. And while I was driving down the road here, I thought, man, I really sinned against my wife today, just grumbling. And it was the night before Thanksgiving. It was the day before Thanksgiving. I sent her a text. Hey, I'm so sorry. I, you know what? I, was, I consciously was thinking, I want to grumble a little bit. I just want to sit here in the dark and suck my thumb for a while. And I was actually conscious. I sit at my desk. I was actually conscious of, picture of the face of Jesus kind of over here a little bit. And I was almost like, I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want you to tell me the truth right now. I don't want to think the right way about this. I don't want to talk the right way. I just want to grumble for a while. Aren't you glad he's patient with us? He draws us back in the light of fellowship. <laughs> look at the end of this. There's so much here. We look at the end. Um, in verse 22 and 23, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, keep warming your hands by the truth of it, right? Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So you have choice of despair or you have choice of hope. And this week, I hope it's hope you choose. A man saw a doctor one day. The doctor said to him, you're short of vitamin D. The man who is very well read said, I need to go to Florida. He said, we're going to give you a supplement. I know this guy real well. He said, I'm going to, we're going to give you a supplement. You take it once a week so that you have enough vitamin D because you need it. So I said to him, because I was that guy, can you just prescribe a trip to Florida for me? And he said, if I get to go along, yes. I can't even know you, man. Anyway, that's, I know it's a silly illustration, but I, I think we need some vitamin D for the soul because there's so much darkness, we could just be crushed by it. But when we think on these truths, when we listen to those carols and what's really behind them, when we give a gift and we think why we did it, when we sing 
in church when we love and when we reconcile and when we live at peace and when we give a gift of the offering plate and when we invite a neighbor and when we're, we ask forgiveness for our wife for being crabby, uh, whatever it is that God has put upon our heart, we're pressing in to God's light. So there's the tomb of Herod, but then there's the empty tomb of Jesus, and then there's the death of Herod, and there's the death of Jesus, and then there's the followers of Herod, which are few, and the followers of Jesus, which are millions. There's a kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of his dear son, and the light of Christ is greater than all the darkness around us, and the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. In the Valley of Vision, a little poem is written, let me find thy light in my darkness. Let me find thy life in my death. Let me find thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Lord, let me find thy light in my darkness. Stand with me, would you please? And we're going to conclude with a benediction.